uh, try something before we um, really get into the message today. And I'll explain why in, in just a moment, but just um, uh, a little audience participation, okay? And uh, this, is a, this is an all-skate. That means everybody plays. It's no fun if everybody doesn't play. So when I ask you to do something, I need you to, to do it, please. Especially when most everybody's doing it and you don't, it's easy to spot the rebellious people. It's just easy. We, we can see you. We can see you sitting there with your arms folded across your chest, and I'm not going to do it just because somebody asked me to do it. So everybody participate, and it's much more pleasant and fun uh, for all of us, okay? Here's the, here's the first thing we're going to do, and everybody will like this. Um, we're going to imagine that it's summer. Boy, that's pleasant, isn't it? Just think about that. Summer. But there's a, there's a big old nasty mosquito right here, okay? And he's going to bite somebody. Might not be you, might be somebody else, but he's going to bite somebody. So, so what are we going to do? There we go. There's another one. And another one. And there's a whole swarm. Okay, that's called clapping. And it's perfectly okay to do that in church. Psalm 47.1 says, Oh, clap your hands, all ye people. It's perfectly okay. You can clap. If you really like the worship song, it's okay to clap. Nothing sounds worse than two or three people doing a golf clap. <laughs> I thought it was a good song. Maybe I'm wrong. Nobody else is clapping. All right. Now, one other thing. Um, let you, I want you to imagine that you uh, put yourself back in the classroom. You're in the classroom, and you want to ask the teacher a question. What are you going to do? Now, if you were homeschooled, we don't want you to go, Hey, Mom! Right? This is like a public school classroom. If you're homeschooled, imagine you're waving at a friend at the mall or something. Well, if you're homeschooled, you wouldn't go to the mall. You'd, you'd, you'd be out in the woods, you know, growing your own food and chopping down a tree to make your own ladder or something like that. I don't know. <clears throat> but, so just imagine that you're waving at somebody across the field okay there you go see everybody can do that that's amazing how about this how about you're at a, a football game and uh, your team your favorite team scores a touchdown right so everybody can do that right okay and if you're a basketball fan hey they do the same thing for a goal to basketball game right goal alright um now, I'm telling you all that to tell you that there was supposed to be another message in this series of sermons. There's not going to be, but there was supposed to be a message about worship. I was going to talk about worship, and we were going to talk about um, expressions of worship and, and postures uh, of worship. See, uh, all those things we just did, clapping our hands, raising our hands, raising two hands, all that is acceptable part of worship. Well, Pastor Scott, are you saying I have to do that? No, I'm not telling you you have to do anything. But what I will tell you is that the more you involve yourself in worship, the more you will benefit from the experience. Okay? If you worship like this, you're just glad when it's over. Okay? And you're, and you're going to get out of it that. that. That's what you're going to get. But if you will involve yourself, and begin to participate experientially in worship, you will benefit more. I promise you that. 
And I'm not saying you have to do it. I wouldn't dare. I, listen, I, I spent a long time in churches where they dictated what you had to do. You know, the worship leader would say, I want everybody to do this. And you felt coerced. And maybe you didn't feel like doing that. Maybe you wanted to do something else, but you didn't feel like you could because, you know, you were, you were being forced or something. We don't do that here. We want you to worship God in the way that it's comfortable for you. But I promise you, if you'll get into the book of Psalms, that's the ultimate worship book in the Bible. If you'll get into the book of Psalms, you'll begin to see some ways of worship that maybe you haven't experienced before, but that you want to try. Feel free. Take your liberty and feel free to worship God. Now, like I said, we're finishing up today um, our message series with which we opened this year. Of course, we haven't been in church that much. But um, our Faith Step series, we've been looking at what it means to have a a living, vibrant, real faith, a faith that, that flows out of a relationship with God through Jesus Christ and a faith that makes a real impact in our lives, in our families, in our world, and among the people who are around us. And several times now we've said that real faith is important uh, because we all want to have the best possible relationship with God that we can. Every Christian I've ever known wants that. They want the best possible relationship with God that they can have. But the second reason is more important. And that's because all of us have around us friends and neighbors and co-workers and family members, children, people that we care about. And guess what? They really want to believe the gospel. They really want to embrace the message of Jesus, but they're watching and they're waiting to see if there are any Christians out there who are really living out, really embracing the gospel and the message of Jesus, who are living out the faith that they proclaim or that they claim to have. So I want to get us started in today's message, our closing message in this series, with a series of statements. And um, you might want to write these down. You, you don't have to. It's a free country, but um, you might want to. Um, just a, a series of statements to get us started thinking and will help us kind of leapfrog to where we want to be here in, in a couple minutes. Here's the first one. Other people have a tremendous impact on what we believe and how we act. Would you agree? Yeah. Other people have a tremendous impact on what we believe and how we act. That's why companies hire celebrities to endorse their products. Because this, the research proves that if we see somebody that we kind of know a little bit about or that we trust or that we um, have pleasant feelings about, that we will be motivated to change how we buy things and how we make decisions about buying. Uh, that's why um, in medical research and, and testing that placebos, everybody know what a placebo is? A placebo often works as well as the, as the real drug, the real medicine. Because somebody in a white coat and a clipboard hands it to us and says, here, this is a medicine that's going to take care of your problem. And they influence us. They have an impact on what happens to us. So people have the ability to influence each other uh, for good or for bad. Amen? Okay. Here's another statement. Where we are spiritually is basically our responsibility. We can't blame our pastor or our church or our families or our circumstances. The only person responsible for where I am spiritually in my walk with God is me. Well, I wasn't being fed. 
Are you a grown-up? Most grown-ups I know feed themselves. Heck, most kids I know feed themselves. Anybody that's not a baby sitting in a high chair with a you know, jar of cream spinach or something is feeding themselves. You can't feed yourself? Is my mic working? It is quiet in here. But now listen, don't hear what I didn't say. <laughs> Let's make sure we don't fall in the, the trap as expressed by an old country singer that nobody's ever heard of named Tom T. Hall. And if you've heard of him, don't admit it because it just means you're old. Um, Tom T. Hall said, me and Jesus got our own thing going. Me and Jesus got it all worked out. Well, no. I mean, sometimes we're tempted to think, I got my Bible, and I got Jesus, and that's all I need. Well, let's say yes and no. I mean, Jesus is all we need, okay? But the truth is, if we're going to take the steps of faith that we need to take, there are some other things we need as well. And among those things is we need each other for help and support and encouragement and strength. There is no such thing, no thing in the, in the Scripture that says that Lone Ranger Christianity works or that it's acceptable. The Christian life was meant to be lived in community. We'll talk about that more in just a, just a moment. There's another statement. It's become quite common in the last few years, and it's disturbing to me. It really kind of, <clears throat> I don't like it very much, but we, it's, not, it's not unusual to hear people say, well, I love Jesus, but I don't like the church. Well, I would tell you that we need to choose our words very carefully when we speak about the church. Because saying to the Lord, hey, Lord, I like you. I just don't like your church. That's like going up to a married man and saying, hey, guy, we like you, but we can't stand your wife. <laughs> I mean, think about it. it. Pastor, we love you, but we don't like Vicky. And, and I know that's the reverse, okay? <laughs> But just for illustration purposes, I know everybody loves Vicky, and you're kind of iffy on me. But that's—I've um, been with her 30 years. I know that. Uh, but if you say to me, Pastor, we like you, we don't like Vicky, you better have some protection. You better have some bodyguards. You're not going to talk like that about my bride. Do you hear me? The church is the bride of Christ, and I don't think God is okay with us saying I don't like her. Or I can do without her. Or I can follow Jesus without her. Jesus established the church. He said, I'm going to build my church. He, he died for it. The, the premier instruction for husbands in the New Testament is to love our wives as how? As Christ loved the church. Church is not a take it or leave it proposition for him I, people say well I don't have to go to church to worship God I know that neither do I I can worship God in my car or on the couch or in my office wherever I am but worship is not a place I go to it's a lifestyle of glorifying God that's what worship is it's a way of living that brings glory to God and I need the church not because I need a place to go to engage in in spiritual activities and they better be the activities that I like or I'll leave and find another church. But because it's important to surround myself with people who love Jesus and who can offer help and, and, and support and encouragement and strength and just as important 
to whom I can offer those things in their time of need. Hello. A couple weeks ago, we went all the way back to the beginning when God was creating the earth. And everything he made, he said, it's good. <laughs> Until man came along. <laughs> and then he, he did say the creation of man was good, but, but the first record of God saying that anything was less than good is in Genesis 2.18, when God said, it is not good for man to be alone. It's not good for man to be alone. We need other people. We need other believers, other followers of Jesus. If our faith and our Christian life and our relationship with God is going to be all that it can be, we need other people. We're going to spend the bulk of our time today in Acts chapter 4. If you want to turn over there. If you don't bring it, don't, didn't have a Bible today, the scriptures are in the uh, worship notes, message notes folder you were given as you came in. And... Um, we're going to read several verses down in there. Here's what's going on. Uh, Peter and John are just about to be arrested for preaching about Jesus. That's what kicks this whole thing off in Acts chapter 4, verses 1 through 4. While Peter and John were speaking to the people, they were confronted by the priests, the captain of the temple guard, and some of the Sadducees. These leaders were very disturbed that Peter and John were teaching people that through Jesus there is resurrection of the dead. The Sadducees did not believe in the resurrection. That's why they were sad, you see. Um, <clears throat> verse 3, yeah, I know. Verse 3, they arrested them, and since it was already evening, put them in jail until morning. But many of the people who heard their message believed it, so that the numbers of believers now totaled about 5,000 men, not counting women and children. Now let's uh, set the stage a little bit here for what's happening. Acts, as you know, is a history book. It's the history, the story of the earliest days of the church from its very beginning. And what happens is in Acts 1, Acts chapter 1, the church begins, and when it begins, it's small and it's safe. There's about 120 people. They all know each other, have known each other for a few years. But then in Acts 2, that, that lasts about 15 minutes because in Acts 2, the church blows up, and I mean in a good way. And 3,000 people believe in Jesus in, in one day and join the church. And then you get to Acts chapter 3, and miracles start to happen. Uh, Peter and John uh, heal a crippled man. You know, the one who asked them for gold, and they said, Silver and gold have I none, uh, but such as I have give I thee in the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth. Rise up and walk. And that draws a crowd, because people like to see stuff like that. And so they begin to tell the crowd about Jesus, and the religious people of the day get mad. Now, don't forget this. Anytime God begins to move, the religious people are the ones who get upset. And they're the ones uh, who get upset. It's not the unsafe people. It's not the unchurched people. It's the religious ones. The traditionalists, the religious, the folks who love everything else more than they love Jesus uh, get ticked off. And that brings us to Acts chapter 4. Now Luke, who wrote the book of Acts, tells us that the priest and the captain of the temple guard and the Sadducees were very disturbed. And you know why that's significant? Because these were the same people who killed Jesus. 
I'm going to tell you what I think. I think Peter and John were scared. Oh, they were mighty warriors. Yeah, they were scared, though. Because, uh, and I know a little bit later they're going to bow up, and Peter will say, I don't care what you say, I'm going to keep preaching about Jesus. But I believe with all my heart that they, when they were put in jail, they were scared because they were real flesh and blood human beings. And real flesh and blood human beings get scared when they think they're going to die. And Peter and John were put in prison by the men who killed Jesus, and if they'll kill Jesus, they'll kill anybody. Listen, there's only one perfect person in the Bible, and his name is Jesus. Everybody else in the Scripture, everybody else in the Bible was messed up. Some of them worse than you. Some of them worse than me. They were real men and women with real problems and real worries and real struggles and real hurts. And you know what? That gives me great hope because if God can use them, that means he can use you and me. Now, Acts 4, if you notice, says the number of believers now totaled 5,000 men, not counting the women and children. Most scholars estimate that the church was around 15 to 20,000 people at that time. Now, that's a big church. And there are some who would say, well, that's too big. You know, we don't want the church to get too big. I, I've had people ask me, do you think the church should be focused on evangelism or on community? I mean, do you think the focus of the church should be on reaching out to people or on strengthening and connecting the people that are already in the church? And my answer to that question is yes. Because there's no need for an either or. It's a both and. We need to be focused on both. We need to be focused on evangelism because without Jesus, people die and spend eternity in hell. And if you're okay with that, you may not know Jesus yourself. Community is about getting to know each other, and that's important. Okay? It is important. But can somebody please explain to me why we get so hung up on knowing everybody in the church? I've had people who said, well, we left that church because we just didn't know everybody. What? Why do people say things like that? Why do people say, well, we don't want the church to get too big. We won't know everybody. Well, you know, they have two services out there at New Hope. And you just can't get to know everybody. So what? Do you know that the people who study this kind of stuff, who study church growth and development, say that regardless of the size of the church, whether you're talking about a church of 100 or 100,000, that the average church member only knows 60 other people. So guess what? When it gets to 62, you don't know everybody. We can't ignore lost people because we've got some kind of weird need to know everybody's name and get a hug from everybody on Sunday morning. We need both evangelism and community. We need outreach and relationships. And in fact, the ideal church, in my way of thinking, is growing larger and smaller at the same time. 
We're continuing to reach more and more and more people with the gospel of Jesus Christ, but we're providing more and more smaller units, small groups, intentional uh, opportunities to build relationship and community. We don't have to sacrifice one for the other. Hell is real. Real people really do go there. But some people are living through hell on earth right now. And they need some people to support them and come alongside of them and encourage them and help them be strengthened. And if it's not us in the church, who will it be? I believe every person needs four things that a spirit-filled, God-directed church can provide. I want to go through them kind of quickly. Four things that every person needs. Number one, we need a place where we can be real. We need a place to be real. Peter and John are giants of the faith. There's just no two ways about it. I mean, just a few weeks, really, before this, Peter preached the first gospel sermon. That's the day 3,000 people got saved. Um, They've been arrested, jailed for preaching about Jesus. They've stood up to the religious leaders of the day. And, and look at verse 23, Acts 4.23. It says, as soon as they were freed, Peter and John returned to the other believers and told them what the leading priests and elders had said. Now, I want to make sure we note something here. They didn't go back to the 15,000. Uh, what, what the New Living Translation uh, translates other believers is actually better translated as their own companions. And some translations say that. They went back to their own companions. What this means is when Peter and John got let out of jail, they went back to their small group. They went back to that group uh, uh, that was the 12, including the two of them. That group they had spent three years together following Jesus. They went, that's who they went back to. And Peter and John went to them and, and told what had happened. And they said, you know, they said, if we keep talking about Jesus, they'll kill us. And that makes us a little uncomfortable. They had a place where they could be real. We need that in church. Man, we need that. It's so easy for us to fake it. Because we have this reflex. That when somebody walks up to us, and it's not just at church, it's really anywhere. Someone walks up to us and says, how are you? We say, fine. I don't even think about it. I don't even know if we even hear ourselves say it. But it's not true. It's not true. Some of our marriages are falling apart. Our finances are in shambles, and our children are out of control and in trouble. And We hate our job, or we're afraid of losing it, but we smile. And we say, oh, I'm fine. We need a place where we can be real. Last week I had someone come up to me after the service. They said, I owe you an apology. I said, what for? They said, well, before church started, and you said hi and asked me how I was doing, I said I was doing fine. And it's not true. I think it was Chuck Swindoll who said... Uh, who asked the question, why is it easier to be real at a bar than it is at church? I know what we think. We think, well, if, if I share my struggle, if I let people know I've got these problems, 
Um, they're going to know I don't have it all together. You know, they'll, they'll know I'm not perfect. Well, let me let you in on a little secret. We all knew that already. Like when we first met you. We all need a place where we can share the truth about our lives. Because if we keep pretending we're okay, we're going to keep struggling. We can't make it on our own. We need other people. We are, none of us, are here to impress other people and to get them to like us. We're here to glorify Jesus, and sometimes that involves asking for help. We need a place where we can be real. And we need a place where we can be reminded. We need a place where we can be reminded. The first thing that Peter and John's companions did was pray for them. But now, it wasn't like one of these weak-kneed prayers, Lord, just give them strength in their time of affliction. That's not how they prayed. Okay. Look at verse 24. When they heard the report, all the believers lifted their voices together in prayer to God, O oh, sovereign Lord, creator of heaven and earth, the sea, and everything in them. There's a prayer you could pray when the world and problems are crushing in on you. Oh, sovereign Lord, the ruler, the master, the one who's in charge, the all-powerful one, the one who can do something about it. You created everything. Nothing else is going to be a problem for you. Right? We're not going to go to God with a problem and he's going to say, ooh, you know, I don't have much experience with that one. I don't think, let me give you the name of a guy you need to. He's not going to do that. He created everything. There's nothing he can't do. It was a reminder that God was bigger than the current problem, than the current situation. And notice, they didn't try to explain God to Peter and John. Sometimes Christians sound really dumb, some of the things we say. Man, especially when it comes to funerals or people who've lost loved ones. We'll tell somebody, well, God just wanted another flower for his garden. Right? And God forbid if somebody loses a child, God needed an angel. Let him take somebody else's kid. Listen, don't say things like that to people. Just don't. You know what would be better for you to say nothing? Just stand there for a moment, silently hold their hand, and then walk away than to say something like that. I forgot where I was. Peter and John's companions reminded them of who God is and that he is still in control. From time to time, we need to be reminded of that. We need to be reminded that we've got a God who's bigger than our problems. We need a place where we can be real and a place where we can be reminded. And number three, we need a place where we can be accountable. I realize this is controversial. But when we get into problems and have behavior issues, we need a place where we can be held accountable. I want you to, to listen to the next thing Peter and John's companions uh, said. They're still praying, but they begin to quote Scripture in their prayer. Verse 25, Acts 4, 25 28, talking to God. You spoke long ago by the Holy Spirit through our ancestor David, your servant, saying, why were the nations so angry? And why did they waste their time with futile plans? 
The kings of the earth prepared for battle. The rulers gathered together against the Lord and his Messiah. In fact, this has happened here in this very city. Right where we are, this has happened. For Herod Antipas, Pontius Pilate, the governor, the Gentiles, and the people of Israel were all united against Jesus, your holy servant, whom you anointed. But everything, watch this, but everything they did was determined beforehand according to your will. Everything they did. They're telling Peter and John, let's see what the Bible has to say about your circumstances. They're saying things may seem out of control now, but the men who arrested you and the men who have threatened you, they're just pawns in God's hands. And they are only doing exactly what God said they were going to do. And listen, God is not worried and he's not stressed because Scripture said this was going to happen. Every one of us. Every one of us needs some people who are willing to get around us and say, let's see what the Scripture has to say about what's going on in your life. <laughs> Our problem is when we start down a wrong path, we try to surround ourselves with people who will either do nothing, right? They'll, they'll look the other direction, not bring it up, or they'll endorse our sinful behavior. Well, no, honey, you go ahead and do that. I don't blame you after what he did to you. You, you go ahead and do that. We typically try to surround ourselves with people who are more messed up than we are. Makes us feel better. <laughs> And it's a sad commentary on the church that, 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 that a lot of people would rather pray for someone and talk about them than to talk to them when they're struggling. If Joe Christian has a problem, we'll talk to everybody in the world except Joe. Wonder what's going on with Joe. He's just not himself. Oh, you didn't hear? Well, last Saturday night, let me tell you. We don't talk to him because... It's easier to gossip than it is to be a brother or sister in Christ to, to somebody who's hurting. But folks, there are times when we need people to get around us and we need to get around each other and say with as much love and grace and mercy and kindness as we possibly can, I'm seeing some stuff in your life that isn't beneficial nor biblical. But there's pushback, isn't there? That one of the mantras of our age, don't you judge me! Don't judge me. You see, here's where we're at as a culture. You can never tell anybody that anything they're doing is wrong or not healthy because you're judging me. Don't you judge me. I mean, they could have a, a sharp knife up to their neck applying pressure. And I don't think you ought to do that. Oh, don't you judge me. Who are you to judge me? The Bible says don't judge. Do this. Next time somebody says that to you, say, oh, yeah? Who said that? Now, they might get that one right. It's like 50-50. They might go, well, Jesus said don't judge. Yeah, where did he say that? What, what's the scripture reference on that? Do you know? Because they ain't got a clue. But I'm going to clue you in. It's in Matthew 7, 1, where Jesus said, do not judge others, and you will not be judged. But we've got to make sure we understand what Jesus meant when he said that. Jesus is not saying that we have to stay out of each other's lives and never hold each other accountable and that we can never tell another person, hey, what you're doing is wrong. It, that's not what it means. What he's telling us 
is we can't approach someone with an attitude of condemnation and hopelessness, right? Like we're glad they've messed up. Jesus is saying, you don't approach somebody saying, you're killing yourself, you dirty sinner, and I'm not, nanner, nanner, nanner. No, we approach the other person and say, I love you. I wish you could know how much I love you. I don't want to see you bring pain and frustration and destruction into your life. And I know the Bible says there's a better way. I know it. I think the Bible makes it clear. We have that role in one another's lives. That's what we're called to do and to be in one another's lives. And I think if the world saw us hold one another accountable for living what we say we believe, they might be more open to hearing about Jesus. Like Peter and John, we need a place where we can be real, a place where we can be reminded, a place where we can be held accountable. And finally, we we need a place where we can be challenged to do great things for God. Verse 29, Acts 4, 29. still praying. And now, O Lord, hear their threats. Hear the threats of the priests and the temple guards and the Sadducees. Hear their threats and give us, your servants, great boldness in preaching your word. Stretch out your hand with healing power. May miraculous signs and wonders be done through the name of your holy servant, Jesus. After this prayer, the meeting place shook. The word there is our word for earthquake. And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit. And then they preached the word of God with boldness. Now, right off the bat, this prayer is just crazy. I mean, it's crazy. They've just been told, if you talk about Jesus again, we'll kill you. And here they are praying that they would preach with confidence, that that healing and signs and wonders would, would follow them. And the Holy Spirit brings an earthquake, and they go out of that place preaching with boldness. And it wasn't a one-time thing or a one-day thing or a one-month thing. These men boldly proclaimed the gospel of Jesus Christ for the rest of their lives until the day they died, every single one of them. Do some homework sometime. Read up on how the 12 apostles died. Every one of them was a martyr. Peter Killed because he refused to deny Jesus. Crucified upside down. He requested to be crucified upside down because he he didn't see himself as worthy to be crucified in the same manner as Jesus was. John is the only one who died a, a natural death. Oh, except for that one time they tried to kill him by throwing him in a vat of boiling oil. And when, when that didn't work, they exiled him to a prison island where he lived by himself for the rest of his crispy life. I guess. I don't But listen, Peter and John, along with the rest of the apostles, became responsible for the faith and the salvation of millions and millions and billions of people. The message they proclaimed has come down through history even to you and me today. We're still reading about them, still telling their story 2,000 years later because They had people who challenged them and encouraged them to do great things for God. Now listen, everybody starts thinking about doing great things for God, and they say, well, first got to sell all my stuff and move to Antarctica. 
or uh, I got to go to Calcutta and take over Mother Teresa's work. Stop that. Stop that because you already know lost and hurting and dying people. Right? You live next door to them. You work with them. You go to school with them. They're in your family. God wants to use us to reach them. If you could make an eternal impact in the life of even one person, why wouldn't you? I'm convinced that the body of Christ is capable of a lot more than what we're doing. What has happened is we have let our enemy, the devil, convince us that we can't do anything. I mean, that's for the heavy hitters. That's for the pastors and the preachers and the teachers and the, you know, the apostles and the bishops and uh, whoever, the elders and whoever else. That's not for little old me. I can't do anything. Well, hey, if you're a believer, you only have the power that raised Jesus from the dead living inside you. I think you can do it. Love that golf clap. We're on the 18th hole here where the pastor is almost finished with you. We need, we need people who will encourage us not to quit, not to give up, to go beyond ourselves, to push beyond our limitations, to finish this race. And you can be that person in somebody else's life, maybe even somebody in this room. And I, I need to say this, because there is a place where all this stuff happens best. And it's not in a row of chairs staring at the back of someone's head for an hour and a half every Sunday morning. The best place to be real, to be reminded of who God is, to be held accountable, to be challenged to do great things is in small groups. I might as well tell you the same thing I told first service. I took an entire page out of this message. Um, because I thought that perhaps this wasn't the time to deal with it. But I'm putting, them, I'm putting it back. I put it back in first service. I'm putting it back in this message. If you're a guest today, I'm very sorry that you have to hear what I'm about to say. Uh, but sometimes we have to take care of some housekeeping issues. We have, to do, we have to have some family talk. And we have to do that sometimes even when people are around that maybe we wish didn't have to hear it. But as a pastor, I'm, I'm completely at the end of my rope on what to do about small groups. I don't have a clue anymore. We have tried every format. We've tried every topic. We've tried every time and day of the week. You know, we've had Bible studies and, and, and uh, video studies and studies where all we did was discuss the sermon that we had heard just a few days before. And we can't get people to to enroll, to sign up, to be a part of small group. Same, same 8 or 10, 12 people sign up every time. And some of them go to multiple groups. It's not unusual for some of them to go to two or three groups. And I don't know what to do about it. We can't even get all the leadership to be involved in a group. It is, God has done a lot of great things here, and I'm very humbled and privileged to have been able to be part of them. But small groups are not one. 
I'm not part of that. It is my area of biggest uh, regret and disappointment in my ministry here. Now listen, we're going to roll out life groups again real soon. And I do not sign up so Pastor Scott won't be mad at me anymore. Do not sign up so Pastor Scott will feel better about that part of ministry. Don't do that. Do it because you need these things we've talked about today just like everybody else does, just like I do, and the person sitting next to you and in front of you and behind you. We need these things. We need a place where we can be real, where we can be reminded of who God is, and where we can be held accountable and challenged to do great things. And it does not happen sitting in rows of chairs. It doesn't happen when you come in after the music starts and leave before I say amen in my closing prayer. Peter and John and their companions turned the world upside down. That's what unbelievers said about them. They weren't bragging about themselves. Hey, look what we did. The unbelievers said, these men have turned the world upside down. And they did it because they had a place where they could be real and share their struggle and a place where they can be, could be reminded that God is greater than any circumstance and a place where they knew they would be held accountable to live their faith and a place where they were being challenged to go and do great things for God. I, I think, scratch that, I know that New Hope can be that kind of place and can produce that kind of people. I know it. I think we can produce the kinds of believers who go out of this building and change the spiritual landscape, not just in this community, but in our state and in our nation and around the world. Bow your heads, please. Close your eyes.